Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Well, good evening and welcome to yet another Outer Hour. I'm Tom London, your host for the next hour, whilst we dissect and analyze the issues affecting you, the ordinary South African, wherever you may find yourself tonight. Now, a lot of people, in fact, most people watch the show from inside South Africa's borders, but we welcome our international viewers tonight as well. Many people join us from around the world. And then we've got people who watch after the live show. So if you're pressing play on the show tomorrow or the next day, whenever it might be, and you're not watching the live show, your view is just as important to us. So stay with us. Remember, you can still comment. Outer representatives can still pick up on your comments. And we value every single person who hits the play button on the Outer Hour. Tackling tax abuse and maladministration is what Outer does. Go to outer.coza to learn more about the organization. This show is put together by the producer, Banele Sanatla. And tonight we have good news because Samantha van Nispen, who's been off for two weeks, is back. Now, we don't know where uh, Nispen actually is. She's from there, apparently, but, uh, but she's back from Nispen. So, van An <laughs> Samantha from, van I'm going to say from Nispen, is back. Welcome back, Samantha. It's good to have you with us. And uh, don't forget that Iva Cleary assists Samantha in the news, uh, in the comment feed. I say news feed because I'm busy sharing my uh, post at the moment, which is what you can do. If you see that like and share button, then smash that quickly and we can get this episode out to more and more and more and more people. Now, if you've never joined the show before, it's customary at the beginning of the show to say hello to each other. We're South Africans, and that's what we do. Dumelang, bom dia, bonjour, hello, namaste. How's it? Uh, as we'd say on the East Rand of Johannesburg. So why don't you pop a hello into the comment section? I know you know our regular viewers do this every single week, but if you've never said hello before, pop a hello in the comment section. Tell us where you're from and perhaps add something to it. The, maybe the best thing about the area you're from. I live in Veltefreden Park and I saw that uh, Veltefreden Park was described as peace and tranquil. Uh, on Facebook today. So there we go. If I had to pop it in the comment section, I'd say hi from Tom London from the peaceful and tranquil Veltafreden Park. Pop, pop a hello in the comment section. If it's your first time, pop in a first time as well so we can do a proper hello for you. And do remember that the show is open to all. You, uh, you, can, you can agree, you can disagree. That's the great thing about uh, the outer hour is we value your input, your comments, your questions, and you can put all of those in the comment section down below. Well, let's say hello, shall we, to our panelists tonight, the outer team. Uh, let's start ladies first and we start with, oh, now I've got a problem because we've got two ladies. So let's start with Liz McDade, who always waits till the end of the introductions. Hello, Liz. Good to have you on board. How are you? Hey, I'm very good. And uh, um, from Cape Town to, to, so to the other end of the country. Yeah. And, and what's, your, what's, what's the, 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 the best uh, thing about Cape Town? It's not Kuburg uh, Power Station, is it? Or earthquakes? 
Definitely not, especially with earthquakes bouncing around. It's the people. Liz McDade will be chatting to us about uh, NERSA. We've got these electricity tariff increases that are being proposed. We're going to learn about something called RCA tonight. I had no idea what RCA was until I researched it. I thought it was a record company. But it's not. It's actually part of the, uh, the, the process when it comes to working out tariffs. And Liz will take us through that. She'll also take us through this renewed push we're seeing from government to increase the nuclear mix in our energy mix in South Africa. Why does government want nuclear so bad? We'll ask Liz McDade in the show this evening. <coughs> then Andrea Korf, who is no stranger to the show, Senior Legal Project Manager at Outer, will be talking about R2. So hello, uh, Andrea. We'll get to you in just a moment, but a quick hello to Andrea. How's it? Hi, good evening, everybody. I'm doing well. I'm on the other side of the Budavos Gordijn near Pretoria. So oh. I'm in Centurion. And what's the best and thing about say, what, no, um, what's the best thing about Centurion? What's the best thing? Um, I honestly believe Centurion is a town of its own. So it's like a mini province of its own. It's just the people are amazing. So and I love living here. And uh, yeah, the people are the best thing. And of course, we still also have some yakarandas blooming in the streets. So oh, nice. I think it's pretty. Lacquer, we'll be catching up with Andrea first tonight as we examine Arta's challenge as far as Arta is concerned and regulations. I thought acts and regulations were the same thing, but they're not. And Andrea will take us through that this evening. Julius Kleinhans finishes the trifecta tonight. Executive Manager of Public Governors at Arta to talk to us about TV licenses. Now, no one wants to pay a TV license, but do we need TV licenses? Does the SABC need TV licenses? What's the story with TV licenses and what is Outer's position on it? What is Outer doing about it? Hello, Julius. Good evening, Tom, and all the viewers out of Harpiesburg Dam tonight. Lovely, lovely summer's evening. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. Now, that's where people normally go to retire uh, when they've had enough of Johannesburg, Julius, but you've still got a lot of tread left in your tires before you retire. Eh? <laughs> I retire every day. Oh, you're making us jealous now. Okay, so those are the topics on the Outer Hour tonight. R2, TV licenses, nurse tariff increases, and nuclear. Why is government pushing for nuclear? Let's get to the comments, shall we, and say hello to you as you tune into the show this evening. Cape Town is first tonight. First on board is Esna Erasmus, who says hello from Cape Town. Hello, Esna. Nice to have you with us. Did you feel the earth move in the middle of the night this week with that 3.5 magnitude earthquake? There have been two many of them recently and that makes me a little worried about that Kuburg power station you've got down the road perhaps we'll touch on it this evening but nice to see Cape Town on board first this evening let's see who else have we got we got uh, uh, Esme van Heerden says good evening team these are all regular names and people we're getting used to seeing on the screen John Oscar says good evening Tom and outer team looking forward to another great hour so are we John thanks for joining us Michael van Ickhack says hello from Cape Town hey Cape Town is well represented on the show tonight Yuri Fick uh, says, good evening, uh, hello team, and thank you for all your hard work. Judy van Gilsweek is on board, nice to see Judy's name there. Richard Perfect says, good evening from Cape Town. Is it all Cape Town tonight? Lacquer. Uh, Brendan Slade says, how's it all? Brendan, no stranger to the show, he was on last week. Jeff B. Scott says, good evening all. Hello, Jeff. Devotion Mudley says, hello, outrageous peeps. Samantha van Nispen says, Nispen is a little town in the Netherlands. Now, I knew there was a place called Nispen because you can't be called from Nispen and there's no place 
called uh, no place called Nisbon. So now we know. Nisbon is a little, there we go. Fun fact, Nisbon is a little town in the Nederlandse. Rachel Fisher, hello Rachel, is on board, also a contributor to the show. Nice to see Rachel's name on the screen. Uh, Devotion Moodley says, Namaste. Namaste to you, uh, Devotion. Desmond Booth says, Good evening from Cape Town. What's going on with all the Cape Town peeps now? Where are my Joburg people? Ernst Kahn says, Hi from Hyde Park. Yay! Joburg is on board. Tony Peterson says, Hi, Tom and Outer. It's rumbling on the bluff. There's been some serious weather. Hailstones the size of eggs in Peter Maritzburg tonight. That's the most action that Maritzburg has seen since. Wow. <laughs> Forever, maybe. <laughs> I lived in Maritzburg once. Sleepy place, but pretty, isn't it? Erica Stratum says, hello from Valcom. Do you remember that song uh, by Matt Herter, Erica? I don't know if you're old enough, but uh, Matt Herter wrote a song called Me and My Dog Malcolm. Do you know it? It goes, me and my dog Malcolm ain't so welcome down in Valcom anymore. And it's about a puppy he took to his girlfriend's house and the puppy soiled the rug and that was the end of the relationship. Uh, Wayne Divinage, CEO of Alta, is in the comment section tonight. Hello, Wayne. Wayne says, hello, lovely people. Do remember that you can interact with Wayne and the team inside the comment section this evening. Ab Abin Sadar says, good evening, folks. Hi, Abin. Good to have you on board. Carolyn Ungersbock says, hello from, uh, from Santon, I think it is. Yeah, Caro from Santon. Nice to have you with us. Santon represented this evening. Sharon says she shares. Uh, Sharon Brin says I share all of Outer's posts. Thank you, Sharon. We appreciate that. Solomon van der Vaart, a new name that I see on the screen, says hello from Pretoria. Nice to have you with us, Solomon. Thank you for joining us. Desmond van Breda says evening, Tom and the Outer team. We'll get through a couple more quickly. People still have TVs, says Kara Rack. Well, yeah, but that's not the point. It seems as if the government wants to slap a TV license fee on any device that can stream. But stay with us because Julius will unpack that for us tonight. Skalk Schutz is on board. Uh, Abin, Seda, Namaste. Good to have you with us. I think I've said hello to you already, Abin, but uh, the second one doesn't uh, hurt. Leslie Barnes says, hello from Bedford View. Uh, Rachel wants to know if she can represent both Nelspruit and Pretoria. Well, you can because they joined by the N4. There's an archery connecting those two cities, so why not? Ben Charles Fraser is on board. Kempton Park is represented. Betty's Bay is represented by Janet Longman or Janet Longman. Freddie Hill says, hi, guys, from Blegari down the road in Randburg. Nice to see you, Freddie. Henrietta Cortez says, hi, from Denmark. Hey, yay, tell a little small dansk, little small dansk. And yay, elskedai. Clive Beckett says, hello, how's it, Clive, on the West Strand? Leonard Chester says, hello, from the East Strand. Bloberg on Cape Town. Four Ways is represented. Obs in Johannesburg is represented. Pretoria is represented. Edenvale is represented. And would you believe it, Flipstratum represents Nigel tonight. Benoni's on board. I can't, I can't stop because it's Manchester coming up next. Portugal, Fernando Lopez, B. Castle from Manchester, UK. Nice to see that. Uh, hello from Rand Park, says Manfred Mullers, and that concludes the hellos. A rather lengthy one tonight, but I did want to say hello to everybody. And before we get into the meat of the show, I'd like to remind you that if you go along to shop.outer.coza, you could be the proud owner of one of these orange masks, so that on Fridays you can wear an orange mask for Orange Mask Fridays. Go along to shop.outer.coza. I think they're 35 bucks. Very, very reasonable. And you can also buy yourself an outer cap for 50 rand, on the website you can walk around with you know yeah, there we go hey, how's that for a fashion statement lockdown corruption with orange overalls and then we've got the hands behind the bars 
So you can uh, make a hell of a statement on a Friday with one of these masks if you just go along to shop.outer.coza. Okay, let's talk about R2, shall we? We've uh, mentioned R2 a number of times before. We spoke about the amendment, the amendment act, uh, and 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 changes that. Uh, the government want to make to R2. We've spoken about these infringement notices. Uh, you know, it seems as if every time you go under an ETOLS gantry and you haven't paid your ETOLS, it's an infringement. You get an infringement notice. It's going to cost a fortune just to drive from Johannesburg to Pretoria if that's the case. And then you may have a problem renewing your license. Uh, this doesn't sit well with the South African public and Alta has made a challenge. Let's say hello now to Andrea Korf, Senior Legal Project Manager for Alta, to fill us in on these issues. Andrea, uh, you know, when we talk about an act, we have an understanding that this is a, you know, these are laws that are made in Parliament, parliamentarians uh, enact that act, and then we have law. But there's something called a regulation, which is not to be confused with an act. So why don't we start there? What is a regulation? Tom, and thank you, everybody. Well, that is um, a very interesting question, and it's quite important to understand the differences between an act and a regulation. Now, in simple terms, and just to put it very easily, is an act, as you mentioned, gets enacted or gets um, gets invented or gets enacted or gets certified by Parliament. So Parliament um, goes through a lengthy process in writing these acts and accepting the acts, which goes to the president, and the president signs the act, which then becomes law. But for if you have a provision in an act saying that a certain procedure should happen, it doesn't necessarily detail as to what um, that procedure entails. So then you have a thing or a mechanism called a regulation. Now, a regulation is basically an addendum to the act giving you more meat to the act. And regulations are normally published by the minister of that specific department in the government gazettes. So a regulation can be amended by the minister once he's received input or comments. So he normally puts a call out to public for public participation in order to submit comments on, on published regulations. And after which he can then decide, does he apply his mind, does he apply these comments and then he can amend the regulations. So in simple terms, it's very important to understand that a regulation is just something that is um, giving meat or just filling in the blanks with regards to acts. But it does become law, but it cannot create law. So for instance, a regulation cannot amend a specific section in an act. The act supersedes the regulation. Am I correct in saying that you could have the Act or the Amended Act, in the case of R2, uh, and parliamentarians will vote on it, the Act is enacted, uh, bang, we've got an Act. And then the Minister says, right, let's apply the regulations to the Act, but this, is, this does not go through Parliament. Parliament does not say, yeah, we like that regulation, we don't like that regulation. This is something that the, the Minister's office or the Ministry decides upon and comes after uh, the Act. Is that correct? That is impartial, it is correct, but uh, it is, although it doesn't have the, the ultimate oversight over forming regulations, they are still part of the process of drafting the regulations. So the minister or the ministry cannot just draft regulations left, right and centre. It needs to still um, keep with the objectives of the Act and the parliament or parliament drafts the Act, so they have some input into the regulations. 
but the ultimate decision as to what is contained in the regulation is made by the minister. But you are correct, for instance, saying that parliament does not necessarily have the oversight over creating regulations. That is the minister's job to do that. He, so, uh, you will see 90% of acts when you do read them. It does in, include a clause saying that the minister now has this power to, to create regulations to the act and to put them in the government gazette, which is then part of the law. So, Andrea, what issues has Auta identified with the regulations to the R2 Amendment Act? All right, so we have heard speculation um, of what the meat of the R2 Amendment Act will contain, and this meat was nicely packaged in the regulations. Now, last year, November, the first set of regulations were published to the Amendment Act, just after the Amendment Act was enacted or was um, signed off by the president in August last year. So the first set of regulations went out, and Arta and a couple of other people also submitted comments. And then what the ministry did is they took those comments into account, and they redrafted or they added or they, they took out certain sections. And then they republished the regulations again. Now, those, those newly published regulations were published in October, and it gave the public 60 days to comment further on it. Now, if you want to see government's intention of the workings of R2, read the regulations. And you will, you will come to understand what a cumbersome and absolutely ridiculous administrative system they are envisioning to be rolled out nationwide. And that is the main thing we've identified is um, the purpose of the R2 and the R2 Amendment Act, according to government, is to promote road safety. Now, if you read the regulations, you will see it doesn't have road safety in mind at all. It's just a blatant money-making scheme. The, the, the process will become so cumbersome that we honestly believe that people don't, uh, will not want to deal with administrative hassle, and then they would kind of be forced to pay their fines in challenging um, the fine or following due process. So there, there's a myriad of issues that we have identified, but the main issue is it's absolutely not about road safety, but it's about making money. So that is the one point. And to tie into that, for instance, there has been a lot of controversy with regards to which the Act refers to as the infringement penalty levy. That is, for instance, where... Um, RTIA, the RTIA is the Road Traffic Infringement Agency, is going to manage this whole collection system of RT, uh, where they say they are going to charge you an additional 100 Rand infringement penalty levy for each and every RT notice that they send you. So according to them, that is an administrative fee or penalty that you pay. Now, we are of the opinion that that is absolutely exorbitant, it's absolutely unnecessary, and it just gives way to our argument with regards to the fact that we believe it's a money-making scheme. And the main reason for that, Tom, and listeners out there is because in the past, that administrative fee was in any event included in the fine amount. Now they want to fine you an amount, which um, as a matter of interest increased, and an additional 100 rand um, infringement penalty levy. And of course... With the amendment coming into effect, 
um, they will be able to send you an email or SMS. So um, 100 Rand for an email or an SMS to tell you you have an infringement or courtesy letter, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, I'm sure you have out of supporters 100% on this issue. What are you doing on behalf of out of, out of supporters and South African citizens when it comes to these regulations? What's the latest? All right, so, yeah, so the closing date to submit comments to the regulation is the 1st of December. And we've already submitted our comments. It's quite a lengthy uh, document that we have submitted to the RTIA and to the Department of Transport. So um, we, on one hand, we did put down all our comprehensive comments with regards to the regulations. And also, as everybody is aware of, we are challenging um, the legislation itself um, in court by our constitutional challenge that we instituted earlier this year. And we are on trend with that. So uh, basically, at the end of the day, we said the comments, it won't, it won't uh, promote road safety. The meat of the whole RT system, it's completely flawed. And then on the other hand, we are also challenging the legislation. Because we all know that, number one, legislation is only, a, only effective if it can be enforced. And we honestly believe by creating this administrative system with RT, it will not be able for government. Government won't be able to enforce this. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, that's, that what, I, that's what I wanted to ask you is what is your message for outer supporters who are worried about this act and the new regulations and how much it could hit them in the pocket? Well, what I can definitely tell all outer supporters, as with ETOLs, we are completely against the system. And um, we have showed, our show time and time again, that we will not rest on our laurels. We will not back down from this fight. Let's take the ETOL debacle and the ETOL saga. We are still fighting that. And we, we honestly believe that ETOL is going to fall very quickly. And as with ETOLs, we will also uh, remain resolute in our opinion with regards to R2. And we will fight this to, to uh, the teeth and bone with, uh, with regards to this unconstitutionality. And we honestly believe that R2 is just completely unconstitutional so we will do everything from outer's perspective and power to challenge this but of course in order for us to do that we need the support of our supporters and as such we call on each and every south african citizen go go read the regulations to the r2 uh, amendment act and submit your comments the more comments we have been submitted to the minister of transport and to the rtia Hopefully, by being an active citizen, it will make them stop in their tracks and start to listen. So we urge everybody to go read the regulations, make your submissions. Alternatively, go visit our website and go endorse Outer's comments to the submission. It's as simple as going to outer.coza, outer.co.za to make your submission. Here's a question from one of our viewers. Uh, Aben says, hi, Andrea. Also, another real thorn in the side are the renewal of driver's licenses. That ridiculous booking mechanism is really frustrating, not to mention the number of hours sitting in queues. There has to be a quicker way to renew, although the law enforcement guys won't complain because they ticket everyone left, right, and center. You're on that as well, aren't you? You're on that case of, of driver's license renewals. Um, unfortunately not. That is um, Dominique Msibi's project. Oh, okay, I meant, I meant outer. But Julius <laughs> will be able... Oh, well, let's, 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 Julius knows about this project. Let's yeah. ask Julius, shall we? Because sure, Julius yeah, is standing by for the next topic. But let's bring him in on this one. Julius, have you got an answer for Aben on that? No, wonderful. Yeah, no, we, we are engaging. Look, uh, we're trying to look at more innovative approaches to 
um, alleviate not only the burden now, but to become a bit more streamlined in process in the future. You know, uh, we, we've called on government to extend it from a five-year period to a 10-year period that your validity and uh, life cycle of a license is in that space. So um, hopefully we will we will be engaging with them. We've asked the minister to speak to him. I see he's got his hands full of the taxis at the moment. Uh, but that is very needed change that needs to come now. Um, apart from that, we are also looking into the current issues in the systems that it, as it is. But I think the extension in regulations of the COVID-19 and all that, it's not really in our favor at this moment. All right, let's move on to the topic that you're here to talk about tonight, and that's TV licenses, Julius. Uh, well, the SABC has been in the news, hasn't it, the last couple of days with the retrenchment notices that went out to over 400-odd staff, uh, and then the, the pushback from staff, some of it making its way onto social media. The public seems quite divided uh, on whether the SABC needs extra funds to keep the salaries going or whether the fat needs to be trimmed. What is uh, your position on, on the, uh, the SABC and the cost and, and cost issues uh, that they face at the moment? Yeah, look, it's, it's very serious. Um, I think the SABC is, is quite an important broadcaster. What people don't always understand or think of is that this is a medium to reach out to South African citizens and speak about important issues like COVID-19. So everyone, um, everyone don't have access to, you know, subscription, paid TVs, uh, subscriptions like DSTV and these kinds of uh, mechanisms. However, um, Tom, you're so right. You know, the SABC is is um, years behind. In fact, most likely a decade or two behind uh, innovative approaches and where the, the whole industry is going. And that is because of government's intervention. That's what happens if political interference occurs in an SOE. And also with the lack of proper leadership and management. Um, what well, is very unfortunate, you know, I think there's, there's very good staff in the SABC, um, you know, but the leadership and the management, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any action taken against them. No one's being held accountable for the maladministration that has gone down in that SOE. I think that's what journalists were implying in some of the social media posts this week. Let's uh, look at the issue that you're here to discuss, and that is the TV license issue. In its annual report for the 2019 financial year, the SABC said it only collected payments from 2.9 million of the 9.4 million license holders on its database. Now they're talking about getting uh, Netflix and YouTube, etc., to do this on their behalf. Why does government want to implement this policy? Look, this, this, is, this is how bad it has become, uh, become you know. Now government is trying to push kind of a nationalized agenda from a political agenda, um, you know, is now relying on private industry to do their work for them. So their incompetence has led to this this problem now. So they've got a deficit of about 2 billion rand that they're not recovering in TV licenses alone. And it's very interesting if you look at those figures, Tom, um, the amount of people contributing towards TV licenses are, are more or less the same as people paying tax. And you can see it's, it's, it's not a, a, even a third of the, the people that's supposed to be paying for TV mm. licenses. So, yeah, now they, they're looking into uh, forcing internet and television streaming websites to pay a percentage of subscription fees, for instance. Um, this can also mean that all of a sudden now 
giving some feedback and engaging with civil society um, that out of hour, you know, a show like this has to start applying for licenses and um, managing that. Now, you can imagine in a digital disruptive space in the, in the world as it is now, uh, where people re- literally are jobless, they pick up a phone, they start making funny videos of themselves, and overnight they become millionaires. Now, um, is that a bad thing? No. I think that is how civil society and, and normal people can start tapping into the global economy as well as local economy. And this is this is where we need to start looking at small and um, small business, uh, you know, enablement more than than trying to to push down uh, license fees and things like this. Uh, that I don't know how government will ever be able to regulate and manage that. Um, but anyway, regardless of that, you know, that can actually develop more tax-paying citizens. So it's it's very interesting, and and one cannot help to but to question. What is going on in government's minds? But yes, they, they're trying to expand the definition now as well of TV licenses um, to also be included, as you've mentioned earlier in the show, not only for TVs anymore, but any device that can stream audio or visual content. That is any device, tablets, smartphones, all these kinds of things. So, um, yeah, you know, that's basically putting another tax on things that's already been taxed, and that, that is just ludicrous. When I look at the SABC story and I look at the, the shortfalls and the challenges they face, it, it almost reminds me of SAA and the problems that SAA have been facing and where SAA has landed up. Uh, is the SABC in the same boat, excuse the, the, the pun, uh, if it is a pun, uh, as as uh, as SAA, uh, it, it, are we are we watching a national broadcaster facing increasing pressure until the crunch comes, and it's got to be you know, it's got you know it's put it's got to be it, it's got to be halved in size, or it, it needs to be it needs to be made that much you know that you know that much smaller uh, in order to survive. How how do you uh, fix the SABC? Oh, that's that's a very good question. You need to change the whole business model. You know, we don't need it. We don't need a national airline. We could put flags on 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 international carriers under license agreements. But yep. I think most South Africans would agree that we need a public broadcaster to get messages out, etc. There, there's a definite function uh, involved and a need for a public broadcaster. But 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 how do how do we fix this? Exactly, and um, you have to change the whole business model. You cannot rely on TV licenses. In fact, why? Why, why are people so against SABC? Let's, let's look at the facts. Content is irrelevant. You're, looking at, you're watching the same show over and over. The quality is, is you, you know, it differs so significantly from show to show. They, they just cannot keep up with private industry. So um, I think content is definitely important. But, yes, I think the clever way of doing things is to, to actually enable, um, you know, the upcoming new uh, businesses and um, existing businesses to share your content. Obviously, this content needs to be subsidized in a space, and this is important content now for for those who don't necessarily have access to other mediums. But um, also, you know, I think if SBC just took a step back and uh, become more innovative in a digital space, uh, because currently they, they're broadcasting mostly on, on your TV sets, um, but started developing competitive, high-quality shows and things like that that actually attracts the customer. 
at a maybe a lower cost, you know, and, and maybe even start developing a subscription then in that space instead of a, a TV license that you shove down someone's throat. Now you're competitive. Now all of a sudden you're relevant and you're attractive to the broader market and audience. And, and I think that is the way. Does government have the insight in that? No, they don't. Uh, you can see that the current uh, management haven't been able to apply or implement the digital migration policy, which was developed in 2009. Now they're coming up with a policy to try and regulate digital disruption in a global space. Have you seen how far? <laughs> can you see where this is going? They're trying to regulate something that is evolving so quickly. Um, before they know it, we will most likely watch TV and a hologram. How are they going to then start regulating that? So, so yeah, I think um, instead of trying to play catch-up and regulating a digital disruption and innovative practices, take a step back, change your model, and enable people to be able to participate in this whole disruptive atmosphere. And, and I think this is where the Department of Communication must really focus a lot, Tom, is rather focus on giving people access to data, cheaper data, free Wi-Fi, these kind of things, and see it as an economic enabler rather than a burden uh, to make money. And that enablement will actually stimulate economic growth and all those kinds of things. That will, in effect, stimulate more tax revenue and um, see more uh, you know, marketing expenses being covered by companies that that is in the faces of consumers and then you've got a healthy economy where people have a supply and demand and your fiscus will automatically start growing and evolving so they need to just start uh, working smarter in that space let's get to some of the comments and the questions that are coming in some lovely comments and questions coming in this evening uh, let's start with dawn Wilsnach, who says sabc is a prop uh, propaganda machine let it burn to the ground uh, no uh, punches pulled there uh, Bill van Oetzeren says no more parastatals. I mean, this is, uh, this is the level of confidence that South Africans have got in SOEs and how they are run that uh, many are at the stage where we just don't want to see any parastatals anymore. Skulkshut says, uh, but they can't even sort out digital migration. Eyes are not on the ball. Let's talk about digital migration for a moment. You mentioned that uh, the process was started in 2009. It was supposed to have been wrapped up in a, in a couple of years. But uh, we're in 2020 and we still haven't sorted digital migration out. We've got the issue of set-top boxes sitting in warehouses, uh, collecting dust, warehouse fees being, being paid for, all sorts of nonsense when it comes to digital migration. Why haven't we migrated in the last 11 years? What's, what's the problem? You see, that, that's, it's pure incompetence. Um, and you can always track it back a bit and ask yourself the question, you know, who's benefiting out of it? Um, unfortunately, we've gone through a space where you, you have to ask that. And, um, yeah, Tom, you know, if, if digital migration was implemented, we wouldn't have sat in the situation. In fact, the SABC should have been so so well equipped and financed. Um, you know, for those who don't know how it works, you know, instead of paying for a TV license, this will already be incorporated in a digital device. And so, so they would be able to manage and track you and um, recoup these fi funds. And hopefully let's say in an idealistic space nine years back if that was implemented correctly and you had the right leadership 
you could have started building a fantastic broadcaster with proper content and getting the right people in. That's very attractive. And, and maybe it would have been, even been um, competitive to the premium or premier, uh, you know, pay TV products out there, which is quite costing, costing quite an arm and a leg these days. Um, unfortunately, we're not in that situation. And, and now again, and this is why people are so heartful, because again, we have to pay for the incompetencies of government. Looks like we're sitting with I a lot. Yes, of course. Go ahead, and Andrea. Sorry, because I, I quite have some some understanding with regards to SASA, which is um, the the state institution who was mandated with the BDM, the, the Broadcasting Digital Migration Program, to roll out uh, the set of boxes and to to go over from analog to digital. Now uh, I'm going to echo what Judy has said. It's absolutely it's about incompetence, and also there's a there's a big um, word I want to throw around, which which is not all too all too new to all. It is political interference because that's also what happened. Is a political interference has played a huge part. If um, if everybody remembers a couple of years back when Jacob Zuma was still the president, he split the Department of Communication into two entities, which was um, so much confusion confusion as to who's responsible for what. And then um, a couple of years back. Mapoza joined them and then in again. So uh, political interference is absolutely an issue, also incompetence. I mean, it's just an absolute waste of taxpayer monies. As you mentioned, uh, it's gathering dust. And also, which people don't understand, is the cost um, to dual elimination. And that is the biggest cost, cost that, that we are incurring now. So just to add that as an as a extra tidbit, with regards to the, the implementation of uh, digital and um, analog. So, yeah, that's Thank what you. I want to say. So, yeah, when, it, when we look at these white elephants, uh, I'm calling them white elephants for now, uh, but I have some sympathy for the management who've had to take over the SABC or the business rescue practitioners at SAA that have, have inherited these legacy businesses in a world that is changing so fast. And very often I've, I, I've seen it said by, by very smart people in the ICT space that sometimes the best thing to do is actually open up a business down the road and give it instructions to, to take out the, the incumbent. Uh, and, I, and I wonder uh, if, we, if we're getting creative enough in our thinking when it comes to long-term survival of airlines and state broadcasters. You know, we just continue down that same path. There may be a, a better way to do it uh, and a smarter way to save these institutions. Just a thought. Okay, uh, Cynthia Stimple says, agree, Julius, we should not allow government to tax us on streaming, etc. Brendan Slade says, how will government be able to regulate it when people use VPNs? You, above, my, um, above my intelligence level there, I, I kind of get what you're saying, Brendan, but most of us don't understand what a VPN is. Sean Wheeler says, just another SAA, and Donnell Desmond from Bradar says, you privatize it. Leonard van der Leidgarden says, remove government and privatize it. A lot of outer supporters saying that tonight. Cynthia says, the SABC content is really bad. Skulk says, politicians should not meddle in business operations, but rather regulate and hold to account. Caroline Unger's book says, if they want to tax streaming, they need to tax the suppliers of data. And I, that comment stood out for me when it flashed across the screen earlier on, because 
We know who hasn't got money in South Africa, and that's the average South African. And we know what South Africans are spending money on. In fact, we know per user what South Africans are spending money on when it comes to data and cell, cellular technology. And perhaps that's the right place to go. I mean, this week we've had uh, cellular companies reporting great profits, increasing dividends to shareholders. Is that not the place that, uh, that government should be looking, Julius? You mentioned cheaper data rates to stimulate the economy earlier on, but could it not be a combination of applying some pressure on these cellular operators to bring the data rates down and then take a small percentage for, for the, the, the national broadcaster? Oh, look, it's a good question. And, and um, you know, I think the same thing applies. Put that CEO of Vodacom in, for instance, at the SABC, and I can promise you you'll see change. So one doesn't necessarily want to chase away uh, the good talent that we have in South Africa. And it's, it's a very, it's a different discussion, maybe for a different day. Um, however, data is far too expensive. I think we are about 130th in the world when it comes to most expensive uh, being paid for data. The question you must rather ask is how much money is wasted by the SABC, the fruitless and wasteful expenditure, and how much data you could have uh, bought through that. And, um, you know, I think I'm, 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 I'm playing with figures here, but I think it was about uh, three. Uh, well, no, no, let's not go down that road. But it is ridiculous amounts. You can go look at the fruitless and wasteful expenditure of the SABC and put that in perspective. See how many people who cannot afford data you could have subsidized with free data so, and so, maybe even a smartphone device. And so is the, is the answer to the question, Julius? Uh, an accountant with a sharp pencil is—is is that the answer to the question? Where uh, you know the problems that SA, uh, SABC face, an accountant with a sharp pencil and no. cut the wasteful expenditure. Do you believe that the SABC would then be in a position that they wouldn't have to ask us for uh, license fees on our streaming devices? No, I, I think more of a, a strong, innovative leader that can crack the whip and get rid of the gunk. Um, you know, and and hopefully pull in a, an accountant with a sharp pencil. We need people who are innovative visionaries that can lead us into a, a proper um, space. You know, we, we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution. This has been such jargon thrown around by politicians. If you look at the policies they're putting in place, it is the, it's millennium kind of stuff. It is decades behind what we need to embrace that. And, and, and that's, uh, that's, I think, where we, we need to focus. You know, if you look at the implementation, um, there's, there's so many things that's not going for the Department of Communications in this policy. And by the way, um, this is something that Arthur is also commenting on. We, we're dissecting all this jargon and, and um, very difficult uh, legal languages to, to simplify it for civil society and, and you, the viewers and listeners to share with your friends and so on. We also want you guys to participate and we'll probably launch next week. Uh, these comments need to be in by the end of the month. But, you know, it's so flawed. Again, they they cannot tell DSTV or Netflix, listen, get the TV license or help us get that money and, and, and do debt collection because, one, those companies are not registered for it. Number two, they cannot share your information with these companies. It's illegal. You know, if you, if you look at another perspective, um, if you sign up today, remember TV license you pay over a year. Mm. If you sign up today and you cancel in three months from now, how are they going to calculate and ensure that those things are paid correctly? And now you're talking about how many millions of people. So 
it's it's just another pipe dream um which which is taking us on the wrong path uh but yeah i think we're also gonna ask for government that we can uh, lay our case in parliament and put some uh, you know i'm almost for some sense into these guys minds and hopefully we can persuade them uh, to actually embrace this digital space and and to enable and regulate as you've mentioned instead of trying to become a cog in the wheel of economic reform. We'll find out what Arts is doing about this in just a moment. You've alluded to it. Uh, we'll get the details in just a second. Let's take a, a few more comments, shall we? Uh, right, we're already taxed to death, says Bill van Oetsoorn. Uh, Bill says, hands off our internet and our phones. They need to close the SABC, close the SAA, close Eskom, etc., and hand them over to private investors. Leslie Barnes says, the majority must pay for the incompetence and greed of the few. The few will not be held accountable for their stupid actions. Sean Wheeler says, I don't know, as I stopped watching the SABC six, six years ago, the SABC, uh, and I think a lot of people are in that position, especially if you're in you know, middle income bracket and above, you've moved over to satellite television and Netflix, etc. I suppose the SABC and the government know that. What is the value of the SABC assets, asks Leonard van der Leidgarten. I don't know. That's a very good question. Be a great uh, business case to see uh, you know, what their level of solvency is. Good question, Leonard. What is the value of the SABC assets? Cynthia Stimple says, bringing community news, education at different levels. Well, there's some creative thinking. That's the kind of thinking we need at the National Broadcaster. Bernard Helberg says, usually a bunch of fat amateurs trying their hand at synchronized dancing. Uh, Sean Wheeler says me too Robert Robb, oh, he also hasn't watched SABC for a while Robert Robb says the SABC spews anti-white propaganda but still wants white people to pay for this uh, Cynthia says the same, no need to have it Lorena Visser says government pensioners must resign we need to retire at 60 but they live the good life um, so I think uh, what Lorena is asking for is some relief when it comes to pensioners uh, Kara Rack says it's a government mouthpiece they directly control. That's why they keep it. It's true that all ex-politicians, politicians and their families get free flights on SAA. Is it true, asks uh, Kara. Well, I know that uh, members of parliament do and, and uh, certain politicians, government workers do. I'm not sure whether ex-parliamentarians or all ex-politicians get free flights on SAA at the moment. That doesn't help, does it? Um, Abin Seda says not to mention the collection mechanism Allah tells for those streaming services is going to be an admin nightmare also uh, opens up corruption and theft and bleed every possible cent out of us says Marina Malberg-Smith uh, there are more comments coming in this is a very emotional issue people do not want to pay for a bloated national broadcaster possibly but corruption is also to blame says Leslie Barnes South Africa ranks 148 out of 228 countries on mobile data prices, uh, although the network operators were forced in some cases to lower their tariffs by half uh, in the last year. Our prices are still too high. Anton Foster says data is already overtaxed. And Skulk Schutt says SABC top heavy in salaries, not market related. They need a haircut at the top. I saw press releases today saying that the average salary at the SABC is over 700,000 rand per annum. Now, I don't know what, uh, you know, whether that's, uh, whether that's too high or not, but uh, fr from the outside, it looks like that's a, a very high average salary for a national broadcaster. Fruitful and wasteful expenditure is why I will not pay a TV license, says Sean. And we'll take one or two more before we move on to the nuclear issue. Um, I think Sean said he wouldn't even notice the difference if the SABC wasn't there. 
Um, absolutely, Netflix and DSTV can cancel per month. That's in relation to something you said a little earlier. And more, well, there's so much coming in here that I can't put everything on the screen. But basically, people are agreeing with Outer's position on this, Julius. What is Outer going to do about it? Yeah, thanks, uh, Tom. So, yeah, we, we are busy in the public participation process. Now, obviously, this is another white paper policy that's been given uh, to every South African to participate in and, and comment. Um, these things get technical, and that's why we've got some um, expert eyes on it. So we are pulling this thing apart and um, looking at the pros and cons and obviously uh, giving the, our conclusions to government, uh, but also recommendations on what they should be doing. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, Tom, I think we will most likely uh, next week communicate to all our supporters and the public so that they can have sites on the simplified version and our submissions that we're doing. Again, like Andrea said, and I, I would recommend that, that everyone uh, and encourage you to participate in these efforts. You know, um, it, it is cumbersome and you don't always have the time to participate. But if you wanted to exercise your democratic rights, uh, we are simplifying it for you. So please uh, go look at the Arto submission, endorse that, even if you just copy and paste some of the content and submit it yourself. Uh, you know, uh, we're trying to simplify it for you. And then the same thing with um, the with this, this, they call it the audio and audio visual content um, white paper, the policy. Uh, we will refer to it as a TV licenses, but we will most likely uh, launch that next week. So if everyone can also participate that, I would really appreciate it. And, and the outer team will appreciate it. Everyone's putting a lot of effort in these things. And it's always nice to see people participating. And the, one last thing, I'll just quickly look at the figures. Just the SABC's fruitless and wasteful expenditure and irregular expenditure over the last financial year could have given 6.3 million gigs of data away to ordinary citizens and poor people who cannot access it, as well as 130,000 Huawei P8, uh, I think, uh, smartphones. So, so there's no excuse. You know, I, I think um, government is to blame. That's it. That's the fact. And we need to start keeping their feet at the fire. Looking forward to your updates, Julius, on the Outer Hour and the website. Remember, outer.coza, if you'd like to take part in those uh, submissions, outer.co.za. Find all the info there. Now, let's move on to electricity, shall we? With Mrs. Electricity, Liz McDade out of Cape Town. And talk about uh, NERSA, who held public hearings this week. Their aim was to get public input into the RCA mechanism. We will explain what RCA and break down what an RCA mechanism is in a moment. And a consultation paper on how they should deal with tricky questions. The main issue is that Eskom would like more money and Eskom would like to raise topics. Liz, what is the RCA mechanism and why is this so important for South Africans to take notice of? So, so this, this is how we have been running the electricity regulation sector and the tariffs in the past and right up to today. Um, and what we are saying is it's about time it changed. So if you, so the RCA stands clearing account which makes you none the wiser but if i use the word clawback that gives you a little bit more of an explanation okay so what happens is escom says we need x amount of money today because we are going to sell this much electricity and in order to produce it 
and we've decided we're going to sell X, and to produce X, we need to do Y, Z, blah, blah. But at the end of the year, when they do their books, uh, they find that they only sold much less than they thought, than they forecast, and there were all sorts of unexpected uh, expenses. And then they say, ah, but we have this thing called the clawback. So all the money that we didn't make because maybe we didn't plan properly, um, we can, don't have to worry, we go back to the regulator. Later, um, will then allow us to get this money back through increasing the tariffs of the existing customers again. So, so we can expect that even though there's a planned electricity increase of 8% or 5%, we're actually going to get maybe double that because when ESCOM can't get its act together to manage properly, it comes back to the regulator. And this is now the rules. And the problem is, so, so every year, Alta goes back and other CBOs and NGOs, we all go back to the regulator and say, we can't afford an electricity increase. And the regulator goes back to ESCOM and gives them an increase. And part of the debate, if you remember, ESCOM took NERSA to, to court this year and won in how they interpreted the rules. They said, no, 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 we want that money. So we, this is not sustainable. Um, and what NERSA did this time was it said, okay, so it's a consultation paper. Here's the questions that how are we supposed to, so you public tell us what we are supposed to do um, when we get, you know, how we choose how much price increase. But I want to just share with you two questions. Mm -hmm. So this is what the NERSA says. If ESCOM chooses an operating model that is not the least cost, should they be allowed to transfer the cost to the public? Now, I, I, I think you should just ask your, your uh, audience. <laughs> that out should work. If ESCOM chooses to go more expensive route of generating electricity, should we pay for that? Um, another question was, if the regulator doesn't get enough information from ESCOM in order to make up a proper decision on whether how much money extra they should get, what must they do? I mean, to me, these are very simple questions. Don't give an increase if you don't have information on which to make that, that um, decision. Um, and if ESCOM decides to take a more route, why must we pay? And, um, and so this is the kind of debates that are, that are on the table. Sure. And so what we are saying is this is an old style stuff. We need to be looking to the future. The future is going to be ESCOM not a big glunky monopoly broken up there are lots of independent power projectors now the producers now the local municipalities are allowed to to generate power so we 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 are going to start having choices and we need a different regulatory mechanism in order to manage that it looks, it looks like it's been business yeah. as usual. Whenever we talk about SAA, SABC, ESCOM, NERSA, whichever department we look at, 
it looks as if it's business as usual. It hasn't been working, but carry on down the path. And what's needed is, I use the words uh, creative thinking, and I don't use those words lightly. I don't mean go in with uh, you know crayons and, and color in. But we need creative leadership to, to, to change the direction of these SOEs and government institutions. Uh, are you saying exactly. that there just isn't enough creative thought when it comes to tariff structures? What's the problem with tariff structures? Well, this is, this is the thing. It should be a basis that you, as a, if you're a generator, whether you're ESCOM or anyone else, you shouldn't get special favors. Because it shouldn't be the public that has to pay for your bad planning. So if you tell us that I can produce this much electricity and it's going to cost me X, that's cool. Okay, we know that. But then don't come back at the end and say, well, I forgot that, in fact, uh, I ran out of coal um, and I had to buy expensive coal. Um, oh, yeah, uh, I, I forgot forgot that in fact I didn't plan for the maintenance of this power station so so it broke and then I had to run expensive diesel generators um oh yeah but now we actually want you guys that's why the price is going up. so are you saying you are, so are you saying Liz that if the if Eskom miscalculates mismanages or makes a mistake that the shortfall should not come from the user where, where would the shortfall yes. come from, assuming that they make these mistakes? And we know that they do from time to time. Yeah, but the, the issue is if they make the mistakes, like anybody else, they have to take it on the chin. They make a loss. And that's how they, and then next time they learn. That, uh, oh, sorry, Liz, Liz, I think people need to get fired. That's how they learn. And you get the right people in that can actually calculate and and run a lucrative business and make energy cheaper for the economy to thrive. Anyway, that's my five cents. You know, Julius has got a hardcore five cents. He just, uh, he just uh, got the you're fired out there. Uh, what, is the, what is the future of tariffs and electricity regulation? Where, where is it going or what should it be, Liz? So, so I think the, that we, we, we are in a different space now. We, we, we have many people who can generate electricity, including people with um, panels on their roofs. So we need, uh, like you said, creative thinking. We need a new system. We, so what Arthur is saying is you need to change the regulatory system. So what we said on Tuesday to the regulator at the public hearings was you've asked a whole lot of questions, but we're not going to answer them because actually that's shifting the chairs on the Titanic. Get in there, boots and all, and change the regulatory system so that it matches what we're going into the future rather than sticking in this old fossil past. What, what is Alta doing about this, uh, Liz? So, so we have several projects, but one of them we are doing is, is as I said, putting in, in to the regulator our recommendations that the system has changed. They must do a whole overhaul. They must get an international assistance panel. And very importantly, a review advisory panel, which includes civil society. Because there's a lot of people in South Africa who have some knowledge and have some creative thinking, who've done some homework. Bring them together. Don't sit in a corner and make a decision where you're going to bring it out to the light of day and it's just going to be bashed. We're we'll talking about um, nuclear... And that's what we are saying to 
We'll talk about nuclear energy yeah, in just a moment. It will change tax slightly, but let me get to some of the comments quickly. There's a lot flying in on this. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's a heck of a lot. Uh, does not sound like a national energy supplier, says Skulk. Sounds like an American hedge fund. Eskom stockbrokers. Uh, Nicola Jane Good says, absolutely not. Why should we pay for their incompetent leadership, says Yuri. Uh, Andrea adds to that, why should us ordinary South Africans pay for SOE's bad planning? I think that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Eskom is a joke, says Abin. They make a loss and then they get their customers to make up the lost profit. I wonder where they get that business principle yep. from. Caroline Mark says, in fact, changing the price after they have sold it. The only way forward is to look at futuristic ways of electricity generation, says Andrea. Leonard says, once again, an SOE that doesn't collect from the non-payers. Skulk says Enron SA, not Eskom SA. Uh, and uh, a, a course says from the Idiot's Guide to Economics. Kara says Eskom as a carrier only and allow micro generation and renewables, talking about the energy mix and how to get ahead with that. Agreed, says Wenzel. Get fired. Stop incompetent cater deployment. Agreeing with uh, Julius's sentiment. Drop the bonuses and the salaries. They're ridiculous, says Alan. And there's a whole lot more along those lines coming in on the comment lines. But we're going to finish the show with a quick chat on nuclear. The focus is on the national nuclear regulator as well as government to rush to nuclear. It's seems where does this nuclear rush come from why are we talking about nuclear again yeah so so now i'd say that this is a little bit like a deep story um but but your your listeners will remember that the way that nuclear has been brought into south africa in the past has been like surrounded by secrecy um and non-transparency court cases which ended up throwing the nuclear deals out. So what happened is Alta was just looking at good governance. When you've got a nuclear power plant, you can't afford to not have very good oversight because it's not just like a wind top, uh, turbine you know, if something goes, yeah, if something goes wrong, it goes seriously wrong. Just uh, look at Fukushima or yeah. Chernobyl, for example. Yeah. So we asked, we found out that in August, the minister released the names of these new regulator board, the NNR board, the National Nuclear Regulator Board. And we thought that's funny. There's supposed to be a civil society person on there. So we wrote to the department. And a long story short, six weeks later, we were told, no, don't write to this person, write to the other person. No, when you write to the department, you must write to the DG. You can't just write to any official that you've been told is the right person in charge. No, and eventually we said, okay, we write to the minister to ask him why six weeks later the DG hasn't responded. Um, and then to find out how to get to the minister was quite difficult because the emails kept bouncing and eventually to drive to the front door of the ministry and hand in the letter. And that, that afternoon we got a response. But this is the problem. So the board, the old board, came to an uh, end at the end of 2019. The new board was appointed in August 2020. So we're not quite sure what, who, was the, uh, who was carrying out oversight in that gap. The um, response we got was that, because the law says you must have a panel in order to appoint the board members. So we asked who was the panel 
and were they, who were the politicians? Because it says you could, in, you may include politicians. The response we got, the panel is secret. Um, and it's discretionary to include politicians. So, you know, you don't have to do that. So while we were looking at this is a, a very non-transparent way, and then they said, we're only now looking at getting a civil society person on board, but we're going through NEDLAC and SANCO. And the question is, there's a whole bunch of civil society organizations, 25,000 of them that sent in responses to the NNR. So they have a database of interested and affected people. Why didn't they ask them to nominate somebody? So the NNR is supposed to have civil society representatives on its board. Are there any civil society representatives on the NNR no. board at the moment? No. And, and then, so I'm saying this is all happening in September. Um, and now we get to November and suddenly it pops out the woodwork that in August, the same month, almost the same day that the minister sent to cabinet and got cabinet to approve this board, which has no civil society rep on it at the moment, they also sent the decision, determination to go nuclear, to build another 2,500 megawatts of nuclear to the regulator, NERSA, that we've just been talking about, who's been struggling with ESCOM, to ask them to approve it. So we have known nothing since August to November that the government or its own integrated its electricity plan and just go off and order some nuclear on the side. So this is, in effect, what we are seeing coming out of the woodwork. So Alta is saying, hang on a minute, you've got an oversight board that doesn't have a civil society rep. You, obviously, they were in the know that the minister was going to throw this nuclear power plant into the mix. Um, but we didn't know because there was no rep. Suddenly in November, we only find out. So what's happening here? Does this look like an honest deal? Does this mm. look like something that that is is going to go in a transparent, procedurally well-defined uh, way? Um, I don't know. There's one of those sayings, you know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, I, one wonders. <laughs> yeah. I might want to use that. Yeah. Liz, uh, it's the question Tom. I ask often, and that is, what is Alta going to do about this? I'll get to Julius in a moment. <laughs> so, so the, 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 obviously, we started this process, and now what we want to see is, well, let's get a decent civil society rep on there who's accountable to the public who will report to the public. Um, and, and we don't want any stooges or, or, or people that don't know anything about nuclear. We need people who actually um, know what nuclear is about because this is, this is very technical stuff, but it's very, very critical. And, and we've just had these earthquakes in uh, the Western Cape. And one of the things that the International Atomic Energy Agency Inspection team who came out in 2019 said is there seems to be a problem with aging infrastructure um, around long-term operations. Now, that covers a multitude of sins, but it might also cover any 
uh, earthquake proofing. It is, it is worrying, out. isn't it? I think Kuberg was designed with a 40-year life uh, cycle. There's a, a push to extend it by another 20 years. The, the nuclear reactors sit on neoprene to try and shock absorb any problems when it comes to, uh, when it comes to earthquakes. Yeah. The experts think that Kuberg can deal with a seven-magnitude uh, earthquake, but that's never been tested, and it's coming to the end of its design life. This, is in, you know, this could quite possibly be a good time to move move away from nuclear. Julius, I know you wanted to make a comment. Yeah, just, just, just two quick ones. First, first one, Liz, if you can just give some indication on the cost per kilowatt now for nuclear compared to coal, compared to renewable energy like um, solar, for the, for the viewers, that will just put things in perspective because it's just it doesn't make sense to try and go into that uh, energy stream. And then just one comment, um, and this is something that I'm, uh, this is a real arrow in our quiver. Um, Liz McDade actually led the whole nuclear deal that was stopped um, that case uh, a couple of years ago. And I'm sure our viewers are familiar and can recall that a nuclear deal was stopped in the Zuma era and to be very proud to mm. have Liz on board um, on this project. Liz, talk us through the costs, comparative costs. Yeah, but now, now you see, having, having now blown, blown me up as like someone who can really talk off the cuff on everything, I have to say that I don't have the new <laughs> current cost in front of me and I don't want to say things that are, that are not absolutely No problem, sure. we'll hold you to a cost next time we see you, yes? But I will be able to give you that, but all I can say is what the Julius's conclusion was, basically when you see those costs, you can see why it would be a bad idea. And, well, maybe just to, just to, this is the important thing, is, is the government produced an energy plan, electricity plan, until 2030, and it left out new nuclear. Yeah, well, we were discussing that a couple of months ago and celebrating the yeah. fact that nuclear was, you know, being left out. But and, uh, and now all of a sudden, yeah. It's a least cost approach. So if nuclear was so cheap, it should be full of nuclear. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we can get to the figures another time. But basically, we are not supposed to be going thing for those of you worrying about your electricity bills, ESCOM has no money. The rater has the CEO said they need the government in order to keep going. So if ESCOM is supposed to now build this new nuclear build, where are they going to get the money? Uh, we know how long it takes ESCOM to build power stations. Liz McDade will catch up with you in a moment for our final goodbye. But uh, let's go to some of the comments. We've got a couple to clean up. Yuri Fix says, use the outer model. Pay for competent people with the same value and the vision. Fernando Lopez says, South Africa is one of the best countries in the world for solar, plus uh, over 3,500 hours of sunlight a year. Loads of sun and wind, says Marina Smith. I agree. Erwin uh, uh, Rater says, much like the Constitutional Court taking sides with Sanrel, I think that's supposed to be Sanrel, not Sandal. Alan Williams says, nuclear means international contracts, which means huge backhanders that are difficult to trace. I think our suspicions, I mean, we, you know, born out of the past there, hey, Alan. Uh, Skulk Schutz, 
we've learned our lesson, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Skog should says, first, uh, the system, get the system right that's in place before you try something new, build on your base. Sean Wheeler says, I think nuclear can work if done properly, and I know that we've had those sentiments expressed on the show before, but as things stand now, if the grubby paws of government are involved, don't touch it with a barge pole. Rob Ray says, it all depends on whether the, which ANC cater gets the contract. Many kickbacks expected. There's a lot of cynicism around nuclear deals amongst the outer supporters. Uh, Sharish Sony says, foreign investors are uncomfortable to invest, although they have won tenders on renewable energy because of government flip-flopping. Fernando Lopez says, Did they, do they mention nuclear needs at least 10 years to build? Caroline Mark says, secret boards. That also uh, got my ears pricked up. No civil representation. Shocking. Keep them in the spotlight, Liz. And Liz will do that, Caroline, and keep reporting back to you, I promise. Uh, Rob Ray says, the ANC can't get their new power stations to work yarn near. Uh, what was the best? What was the best power generation? That's an interesting question. That I think that's changing as the years go by and the solar energy costs come down. Well done, Liz says Cynthia Snipple. Keep up the good work. Keep us informed. Take a number. SAA was in front of the line, says Skulk. And I think that's where we'll leave it tonight, except we'll put one more on. Liz was awarded the 2018 Goldman Environmental Prize for the African region for her use on uh, work on using the courts to stop a Russian-South African nuclear deal in 2017. Thank you, Liz, for all your work on our behalf, says Marina Smith, and I'm sure she echoes the views of our viewers tonight. So, uh, let's say goodbye to Liz McDade, shall we? Liz, thanks for joining us. Liz is Parliamentary Advisor to Parliament on Outer's behalf. Thank you for joining us once again. Liz, nice to see you. Yes, and for those who, who have uh, any whistleblowing tendencies amongst them, uh, it's time for everybody to stand up and shout out if you know anything. For all of us, whether you believe in nuclear or not, all of us lose if something happens at Kuburg Power Station. Western Cape economy and the country goes down very quickly. And then the Executive Manager for Public Governance at Outer, Julius Kleinans, out of Hartis area. Julius, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Tom. Thanks for a great show, team. Um, all our viewers and friends and Aotearians, uh, keep up doing the good work. And thank you guys for making change where you are and in your communities. And we also encourage you, you know, grab a friend or a family member and bring them on board to become an Aotearian. Look after yourselves. Thanks, Julius. Get involved. Go to outer.coza if you haven't been to the website. All the great work that Outer does is on the outer.coza website. You get directions on how to uh, submit your submissions as well. Outer.co.za. I'll give you the address for the store in a moment in case you want to buy one of those orange masks. But before we do that, last but not least, Senior Legal Project Manager at Outer, Andrea Korf. Thank you for joining us out of Centurion, Andrea. Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you for everybody. Thank you for listening to us, and thank you for your participation. I just want to, to echo again also what Julia said. Remember, we can't do the work without your support. So I just want to say tonight thank you to all our out of supporters, friends and family out there. Thank you for enabling us to, to represent civil society and to make a difference. But um, that's not where it stops. The box stops, box stops, stops with you. Um, be an active citizen, participate in public participation, and uh, support Arta and tell your friends and family. Have a blessed evening, a wonderful week. Be safe and stay safe. 
Thank you, Andrea. Right, if you'd like to get one of these orange masks and participate in Orange Mask Friday, go along to the address on the screen, that's shop.outer.coza, and you too could be a proud owner of one of these orange masks. And this mask says, lockdown corruption with orange overalls, and you've got that person in jail behind bars. We'd like to see more of that, wouldn't we? Shop.outer.coza to get your masks. They're two designs, and you can buy an outer cap while you're at it for 50 bucks. Prices are good, uh, and uh, you could be joining the rest of the outer team and outer supporters on a Friday with your orange mask. Shop.outer.co.za. If you haven't liked and shared this broadcast, please do so now. Get it out to as many concerned uh, South Africans as possible. Get more people turned into active citizens. Right, that's it. We've run over time, but I did think that the nuclear story was worth uh, pursuing and, and, and putting a bit of time into. If you've stayed with us for the hour and 15 minutes, thank you very much. I know every week we've got people say, stay longer, Tom, stay longer. This week we did. Back with you again next week at 7 o'clock. Make a date to join the Outer team and myself, Tom London, for another Outer Hour. The show's put together and produced by Benelli Sinatla. Samantha van Nispen is back. She heads the Outer comms and marketing team assisted by Ivor Cleary. Your panelists tonight were Andrea Korf, Julius Kleinans, Liz McDade, and we will catch you again next Wednesday for another action-packed outer hour where we will pick apart and examine the issues that affect us, plague us as South Africans. Let's put everyone on screen quickly uh, and say goodbye to our guests. Goodbye from all of us in the studio. Catch you next week. Make a date. Make some money between now and next Wednesday. Stay, health, stay healthy and happy. Love those around you you and be kind uh, i'm yeah i'll catch you next week it's a date 7 p.m don't be late i'm tom london and i miss you already our fight to eradicate corruption maladministration unethical leaders and the abuse of taxpayers money by those in power continues it's fresh it's fearless and focused the outer hour where your voice matters.